scripture reading this morning is taken from Mark 2, 13 to 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of the physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. Well, as we continue this series on questions that arise from the Gospel of Mark, and we look at that, a reminder is that last week we talked about what is the Gospel. And what we learned is that the gospel, it's Jesus himself, and that Jesus brings the kingdom of God in. And so from that, we begin to see Jesus living his life and his ministry, working among the people, calling men to follow after him, calling women to follow after him. And then he begins to encounter different people along the way. And what begins to arise in the minds of other people that are around him, in particularly the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and we'll talk a little bit more about them, is who is this guy and who are his people? Because he seems to be claiming something different than what they believe. And so the question we're going to tackle today is, who are God's people? What do they look like? I don't know if you're like me, but you probably have movies in your life that are, are movies that cause you uh, great comforts or they cause you to reminisce well about something in your life and maybe they just happen to be a movie or maybe it was a book or perhaps even a song or a piece of art perhaps that you saw that gave you a, 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 a something so deep that connected with you in some way that it, 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 it just hangs with you maybe it's because it reminds you of somebody or maybe it's because it defined a moment in time for you that gave you memory. One of those movies for me is a, a movie called The Breakfast Club. Now, you have to almost be around my age to have watched it uh, and, and get it. But basically, the movie The Breakfast Club is about five folks, uh, high school students, who have been put in detention all day Saturday. And each one of them are different in some form or fashion. And they are required to write an essay about why, who they are. The essay that they're told to write is who they are. And by the end of the movie, because they spend time together all day, um, not necessarily always doing the best things, but finding out a little about, about each other, they wrote this letter. And if you've seen the movie, you can see Bender walking across the football field, the gridiron field, with his fist up. And it says this, Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was that we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out 
is that each one of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case and a princess and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. So the reality is, is they recognized something at that moment as they were spending time together that people define other people in the most convenient terms possible. We like to reduce folks to the simplest equation so that then we have them packaged and understood. One was a brain, one was a basket case, one was a princess, one was an athlete, and one was a criminal. But the reality is, is by the end of the time together on Saturday, they thought that they all were each one of those. That each one of them possessed some of those characteristics. And so to define them as just this one simple thing was wrong. We're all of those things. And they put a, a label on themselves. The Breakfast Club. That's what happens throughout this story in the book of, in the Gospel of Mark. Is that we continue to run into places where people are defined by the most convenient term. That they're looked at as a particular way. Maybe it's a physical attribute that's about them that defines them. Perhaps it's an occupation that is used to define them. But in whatever case it is, the people that are making the definition are saying, you're out and we're in. And I think there's a danger for us in that. I think that each one of us in our own hearts wrestle with some place where we want to define people easily around us so that it's easier to operate with them. If things are just black and white, then, then we can go right and wrong. But when things become gray and we recognize the complexity of all those that are around us and we begin to see them in different ways, then all of a sudden our lives have to become even more complicated and messy. And regardless of what your room and your kitchen looks like, most of us don't like messy lives. We like things to be simple and easy to understand. But Jesus confronts that head on. He walks right into it. And we see that, in particularly today, in the story of Levi. The calling of Matthew to be a disciple. So understand, what happens is Jesus is walking along. He walks by a tax collector. A tax collector who, if in its simplest definitions, in, in, in the most convenient terms, we would label him a crook. Right? Maybe even worse than that, in, in Israel, they would say traitor treasonous because you're working with the occupying powers and you're not only working with them you're also stealing from us so in convenient terms Levi is a crook an outsider one who is not allowed in but is out and Jesus walks by him and he looks at him and he says follow me and immediately he says he gets up and walks and follows and what does he do he invites all his friends who would happen to be all of the outsiders to come and hang out. It's interesting there that Mark makes us know for sure that they're relaxing, that they're reclining, that Jesus is not there standing up, making sure they all understand how wrong they've been. He is reclining with them. He is showing that he is next to them and close to them, that he is 
eating with him in a way that is relaxed, not in a, I'm going to do this real quickly, try and get you guys right, and head out. But he's taking his time, and he's being present in that place. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees in particular at this place, look in and they say, why does he do that? Doesn't he know what's going on? Doesn't he realize that we've conveniently labeled these folks to fit into this scheme and they're out and we're in? And so it's now time for him to move along and move away and not be near them at all. And Jesus answers them and he says this. Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. It's real interesting there that Jesus would use this identity of a doctor as someone who comes as a physician to heal the sick, not those who are well. Because before this, what we see Jesus doing is he is healing people. He's casting out demons from folks, and he is healing people. If you look back in chapter 1, he takes time to heal um, a a mother-in-law. He takes time then to heal a man with unclean spirits. He then cleanses a leper. And how does he cleanse that leper? Here's the most telling part. He touches him. It's not something you're supposed to do. See, he's a leper. That means he's an outcast. That means he's been defined as the person who is away. He's not in. He's out. And he touches him and heals him. Then it says he heals many. You see, what he's been doing is acting like a physician for the physical work. But right before this story, we see Jesus do something really interesting. Because these men bring their friend in to be healed that cannot walk. And they lower him down. Perhaps you remember this with your flannel graphs where they take off the roof and they lower this man down on this bed. And all of a sudden Jesus is preaching and pontificating. At least that's the kind of the way it was taught to us. And an interruption comes from up ahead as this little man comes down on this bed. And he's right before him and it's like Jesus goes, whoa, what's going on? What's up with that? And he looks at him and he says, hey, because of, your faith, because of the faith of your friends, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't even deal with the physical thing. He says your sins are forgiven. Not because of his faith, but because of the faith of his friends. And then he knows that the Sadducees and the Pharisees in their minds are going, he can't do that. He's, he's outside. He's not God. We're the ones that know God. He doesn't know God. And Jesus looks at him and says, what's the problem? You think I can't forgive sins just to show you that I can and that I'm the son of God? Uh, Get up and walk. So he uses this great metaphor of a great physician that comes in and heals not only physical needs, but spiritual needs. But the thing that's most telling to us in this passage is that he is looking for those who have been deemed outside not inside. None of us would ever want to admit that we see people outside. We want to say that we're people of good hearts, that we see the best in everybody that we encounter. None of us ever really want to admit to ourselves that we will determine who fits in and who doesn't fit in, maybe even just by simple appearance. 
the Sadducees and Pharisees that Jesus are dealing with, and, and, and just so you know, the Pharisees uh, best could be described maybe as what we would consider the fundamentalists. They were the ones that said, here are the rules and the regulations, and here are the rules and the regulations that are on top of that, and all of us follow those well. Nobody else does. Nobody gets it. Nobody understands it like us, but we understand it, and we've been given the understanding of what it is, and we do it. And until you do it our way, then you're not doing it right, and that means you're outside. And the Sadducees probably can best be described as the folks that liked church as a social setting. Like they got that there was all sorts of religious stuff that was going on and they liked the fact that, that God chose them and that they had an identity. But the reality is it was much more about power and, and knowing one another and sort of a, a, an idea that this doesn't really affect all of our lives, but it affects just this part of our life where we can be connected. But in both of those cases, it was very clear that there were people who were inside and there were people who were outside. And what's happening through this book as the kingdom of God is being revealed is they are getting uncomfortable with who Jesus is saying is on the inside. Because every time he says or touches somebody and heals them or invites somebody in who doesn't look or act or sound or smell like them, then they realize something is going on here. Jesus right after this tells them you wouldn't put old, new wine in old wineskins. He's letting them know that new is here. Just like we said, Jesus makes all things new as it always was. We said that last week. And so that's what's going on in this place. And he looks at the Sadducees and the Pharisees as he invites these others in and he says, look, it's the sick who need a physician, not the well. Catch this though. He's not telling the Sadducees or the Pharisees that they're not sick. That's not what he's doing. He's not looking at them and saying, well, you're righteous, so you're good. I came for the sinners. Don't worry about it. What Jesus is really saying in that moment is this, that those who recognize that they are sick, that those who see that they are unrighteous, those who know that they need to be healed, are those that will hear and see and discover and know me. But for those who like the, the night in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, who loses an arm and says, it's just a flesh wound. He says, you don't hear. You don't know that I've come as a physician. You don't know that I've come to save you. And so the question we ask is, who is God's people? Well, it's very clear in this that in the kingdom of God, God's people are those who are broken. Those who are the refugee. Those who are the outsider. Those who are far away. That in the kingdom of God, who is God's people? Who does he recline with? It is those who recognize they're not all that. It's those who recognize that they don't have the power to save themselves. That in the kingdom of God, we recognize that those who are God's people are the broken and the misfits. And that's what we desire to be. Those who strongly say, I'm broken and I'm a misfit. Those who will say, I need a savior above all else. 
And so if you're here today and you have a sense of self-righteousness, you have a place where you feel like I'm okay because I've been okay and God likes me enough. Listen, God will never love you more than he always has already and forever loves you. Nothing you do makes that better. But your recognition of how great that love is springs from a place when you recognize how unlovable you can be. Scott Sauls is a pastor in the States, and he just finished a book called Irresistible Grace. Or Irresistible, Irresistible might just be the title of it. And he starts off the book by saying this. What would it look like for Christians to be reignited in this kind of faith for our time, an irresistible faith? What would it look like for us to become those who live most beautifully, love most deeply, and serve most faithfully in the places where we live, work, and play? What would it look like, as Tim Keller has said, for us to live so compellingly and lovingly in our neighborhoods, cities, and nations that if we were suddenly removed from the world, our non-believing neighbors would miss us terribly? What would it look like for Christians to become the first place people go for comfort when a life-altering diagnosis comes, when anxiety and depression hits, when a child goes astray, when a spouse files for divorce, or when a breadwinner loses their job? What would it look like for a woman with a crisis pregnancy to see the local church and not the local clinic as her trustworthy source of love and non-judgment and practical support and wise counsel and much-needed encouragement? What would it look like for the local church to become the most diverse and welcoming rather than the most homogeneous and inhospitable community on earth? What would it look like for Christians to become not only the best kind of friends, but the best kind of enemies, returning insults with kindness and persecutions with prayers? What would it look like for Christians in mass to start loving and following the whole Jesus and the whole Scripture the whole time, and to the whole world. What would look like Levi's party? It would look like that place where Jesus comes in and he says, who are your friends? I'd like to eat with them. Let me recline with them and know who they are. Matthew himself couldn't help himself. He, he needed Levi. said, you've got to come and meet my, 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 uh, this man who called me. I was in the middle of work and he said, come. And I couldn't help myself. And I came. That, that's who it is. It wasn't that he thought to himself, I can't let him meet these friends. <laughs> he said, these are the friends he needs to meet. We become like the men who brung their friend who was lame and we drop him down and Jesus says it's your faith that's bringing this about that you believe that he can be healed that you believe that I have come for those who are far off those who are away and so if you're here and you feel like there's something that has kept you far away listen to me there is nothing that keeps you far away But if you're here and you think you've got it figured out, understand this. You've gotten it figured out only because of God's grace and mercy to you. Who are God's people? It is the broken and the lame. It's the misfit and the refugee. It's those who were once far off who have been brought in. And that is all of us. That is all of who we are. 
And that's what the kingdom of God is about. We're going to sing a song here in just a minute. But before we sing it, and we've done a lot of new songs today, and I appreciate you hanging with us on that. I hope they've been good for you. This is another new one. I'm going to read you the lyrics because I think it's really the best way for us to understand our hearts in seeing who God's people are. But that way, maybe also you'll be able to sing along a little bit better. It says, I'm one of those at the table not invited. And to all here at the feast, it's very plain. I cannot hide in etiquette or conversation, but Christ himself sent word to me, and so I came. I'm one of those who was dead and fully buried and I still bear every stigma of decay. There's no way I can hide just what I've been through, because when Jesus called, I came fresh from the grave. Though the world may number me among the foolish, I think Jesus Christ is all I need to know. Jesus suffered and paid blood to buy the lowest of the low. Hallelujah. Amen. That's me. Yes, I am one of those. I am one of those who was a leopard and contagious, the deformities and scars I have today. Yet while I was vile with sickness, Jesus loved me, he healed me, restored and through and through remade. I am one of those who was doomed to death in prison. And I've done more evil things that I could say. But Jesus broke inside and there unlocked my shackles. And to set me free, he died and took my place. I am one of those who was hard to love and ugly. Self-righteous, critical religion was my stain. So I ran to Christ to wash and be discovered. Jesus called me out and covered up my shame. Though the world may number me among the foolish, I think Jesus Christ is all I need to know. Jesus suffered and paid blood to buy the lowest of the low. Hallelujah. Amen. That's me. Yes, I am one. Our call is to invite those to the table of God. Our call is to live lives that are attractional, not because of anything that we have done or anything that we could do, but because the love that God has poured so graciously out on us overflows to all those that are around us. That there is none not welcome. No, not one not welcome. That God says, you are my people. Let me pray. Jesus, hear these words. If they're not yours, we ask that they burn up and go away. But if they are, we ask that they bring good fruit and praise to you. It's in your holy, righteous name we pray. Amen. Would you please?